Imagine a world where you knew that you mattered and you belonged. The people cared about you because we were so darn good at listening to one another, no matter how different we are. That is what Sidewalk Talk is doing by putting listeners on sidewalks all over the world so that we can practice the art of connecting. Join me, founder and director Tracy Rubel, as I interview experts on the fine art of human connection and interview some of our volunteers who've been listening on the sidewalk and even some of the folks that we've listened to. And if you want to volunteer, consider joining us at sidewalk-talk.org. So I am sharing with you one of my personal treasures. Jamie McHugh is a somatic movement specialist that I met over 15 years ago and was instrumental in my own journey of discovering that I even had a body. And I find him to be one of the most skillful facilitators ever. He's also a multidisciplinary artist and a fine art photographer. He lives on the Mendocino coast of California. A bit about him. Jamie's been teaching movement-based work since 1978, so he really knows his stuff. He was also a National Endowment for the Arts Artist in Resonance and a director of Children's Dance Theater in Wisconsin. And then he left the performance world to apprentice with dance pioneer Anna Halperin at the Tamalpa Institute in California, where he discovered movement as a transformative somatic art and was a primary faculty member there until 2017. And it's really that work that he brought to my life and that he's going to bring to the rest of you. I, I just listen to his voice. I, his energy is so solid and beautiful. And I'm sad because he and his husband were going to be visiting me in Germany, but because of what's going on in our health, in our health uh, pandemic, we won't see each other this year. But this felt like another way to get to visit with Jamie. So I'm sharing a treasure. He may not know how much of a treasure he is to me, but please enjoy. Jamie McHugh. Jamie McHugh. I'm already feeling like I'm going to cry just getting to be in dialogue with you for, mm. and, get to, and get to share you with these beautiful people that I've gotten to know at Sidewalk Talk. I, I just can't wait till they get to know you. Thanks for being here. Welcome. You know, I just wanted to maybe back up a little bit and tell people a little bit about where, locate, help them locate you about where you are in the world. They're going to hear, you know, they've been introduced to you through a bio already, but mm -hmm. how did you get started doing the work that you do now? Oh boy, that's that's like a really long. <laughs> Can you give us like the, the, the yeah? You know, I mean, I I am sixty five now, so it it's been a long slog. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I guess the in terms of what I want to focus on today and speak about this whole notion of breathing room and the power of the pause, mm. I really want to say that uh, this began when I was, I was 19 and at university and uh, was making the transition from being kind of a pothead to wanting something where I could really, in a sense, 
alter my consciousness, but, you know, without substances. And uh, so I began the practice of TM and uh, transcendental meditation. And from there, that has been a through line. The, the daily practice of sitting and being with myself has been my practice now for, uh, you know, 45 years. Um, and the way I like to think of daily practice and sitting is it's an opportunity to be with myself, to listen to myself, and to listen to a larger mystery. So that really is kind of, I mean, you know, and there's a lot of other details along the way, kind of years later discovering my body through dance improvisation, becoming a dancer for a while, but not really feeling like the uh, structure of dance was really my thing. It was more the spirit of dance. So I was working in public schools doing creative dance and drama, which led to uh, community art and involving schools and communities in celebration and movement expression. And from there to California and starting to work with Anna Halprin and discovering the world of dance as a healing art. And from there, studying with and exploring the world of somatics with Bonnie Bainbridge Cohen and Emily Conrad. And along the way, deepening and exploring the variations on my sitting practice through Vipassana meditation, work with Stephen Levine on death and dying, and discovering Thich Nhat Hanh, who I would say is really the most practical guide to engaged Buddhism, to Buddhism as part of daily life, to meditative practice being part of daily life. Hmm. And so through all of these kind of twists and turns and um, also, uh, you know, of course, I have to mention uh, daily, <laughs> excuse me, annual retreat into the wilderness for a week, uh, which I would do by myself. I did like for about 20 years. Uh, every summer I would go up into the mountains and just be by myself and movement and stillness. And I sometimes jokingly like to say that that's my idea of a meditation retreat. I, I'm, I'm, not really, I'm really not drawn to going and sitting, you know, with a group of people for 10 days in silent retreat. I mean, that for me, uh, stillness and contemplative practice really are part of uh, the natural world. Um, you know, rock is still. Mm. So to be in movement and stillness, to sit, and in a sense, really let the natural environment hold my consciousness, hold my being. Uh, for me, that's, that's always been a profound and important influence on the way I think of myself as a body on this planet in relationship to other bodies and beings. Was, was, <laughs> was, that, a, was that a pretty good uh, summation? <laughs> Yeah, and I still don't think it totally captures you, but don't you worry, I'm going to help people understand. Can I share a little story about our first first Please. encounter? Oh, yeah, I'd love to. You know, because how many years ago was it that we that I got to work with you? That was 16. in 
2005, so 15 years ago. Yeah. Okay. So I was in graduate school studying to be a psychotherapist. No, I was done with graduate school at that point. Anyway, um, but I was early in my own exploration of this really cool thing that I didn't know I had. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> I still don't remember I have called a body. <laughs> mm -hmm. And you had this beautiful, crazy developmental workshop, developmental movement workshop. And there mm -hmm. were several things that were profound about it that will, that will go with me to the dirt, as I say to people. I still tone to this day, probably not as much as I should. I did through all my births. <laughs> Toning, you, I, in our workshop, you taught us how to make sound in our body, to mm -hmm. move energy around our body. You, we did a um, developmental movement where you had us lay down on the ground and act like we were a baby for like many, many long time mm -hmm. and then move from baby to kind of learning to roll over from learning to roll over to getting on our stomach from getting on our stomach to learning to stand and then learning to start to walk and then to start to run and so much awareness opened up for me that had never opened up in all the years of therapy that I'd done something mm -hmm. I remember having this felt sense of wanting to stand still right in that mm -hmm. developmental phase of learning to walk, I wanted to walk slow, but I felt like a hand, a parental hand at my back saying, hurry up. Mm -hmm. I'm like, God, how many years of therapy would it have taken to discover that? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Energetic. Right. Yeah. yeah. But my favorite day was one of the days mm -hmm. where you were inviting us to do free movement. And you said, look, I want you to move your body in a way that's pleasurable. Mm -hmm. And I was analyzing. <laughs> And you came up and you grabbed my face in, 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 your, in your hands and you looked me in the eyes and you said, Tracy, honey, just have fun. Just move in whatever way feels delicious. Mm. <laughs> so that is what you brought. And then on top of that, there were some complicated group dynamics with members of the group. Sure. And I, I had yeah. been in a lot of therapy groups. I'd been in um, a gestalt group for a, a lot of time. And you were one of the most skillful group facilitators I'd ever seen at how you handled the group conflict. Hmm. I'm like, hot damn, this guy is the shit. <laughs> <laughs> take it in. Well, take I'll, it in. I'll, I'll add that to my bio. I'm the shit. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So um, where are you in this journey now? And what are you offering to people in the community? I, I, you, you left out your photography, which I think is stunning. Right. Well, there is that, that too. I mean, in a way, I'd say the photography comes out of my, you know, longstanding practice of going into the wild and being there by myself and just really settling in observing, in a sense, being saturated by the mystery of color and form and light and space. And so my, I started uh, doing photography when I was 17, just basically as a personal practice of just, you know, my own art making. And uh, so I just kind of kept doing it and doing it. And what really was, you know, when I finally decided to buy a nice camera, um, about, it was only like 12 years ago, 
uh, I realized, oh, oh, these are really kind of cool. And I want to blow these up and make these bigger and make these kind of small environments large and 20 by 30 or 30 by 48 or the largest images I've done is 40 by 60 images, 40 by 60 inches. And kind of from there that, uh, you know, kind of delving into that and that practice of the focus of the camera, I realized as a process is an important practice for me. Even if I you know, never publish another photograph, just going out in the world and having the camera to focus my mind in a very small area and continue to work with that focus and then take a break from that, put the camera down, look around at the whole environment, move a little bit, lay down on the ground, you know, whatever I'm doing, that that really the, that creative process is pretty much the same way I realized that I approach um, the contemplative practice that I teach, embodied mindfulness, which is that same idea of focus and wander. Let your consciousness really focus as much as you like. And then when you're ready to just let it wander and that rhythm of condensing and expanding is for me just uh, part of the rhythm of life. I mean, you, you were talking about the developmental movement. And when I think of developmental movement, I think in terms of our basic reflex patterns and everything that we do as evolving beings is that we're always working with that rhythm of condensing and expanding, inhale and exhale, you know, it just kind of goes on and on. And it really is a through, through line in life. Uh, so the, the creating these uh, art pieces and now that have become videos that I've posted online uh, that really started, evolved actually in 2016 after the election, when I realized everybody was distressed and online. And, and I thought, you know, what, what can I offer to the world uh, to, to be part of the, the healing right now? And it spontaneously arose in my morning practice, oh, I'll create seven days of beauty. So I committed myself to creating these videos out of my uh, images with kind of slow dissolves and uh, asked different musicians uh, to use their music and so that kind of set me on a path of realizing, oh, these, this way that my personal practice of photography and art making can actually be shared with the world in a way that it also helps bring people down and into themselves. And especially for some people, if that's particularly challenging uh, to have an inner focus that at the very least they can be situated in their breathing body and taking in the kind of the mystery of nature evolving and shifting in front of their eyes with music. So really going for kind of a multi-sensorial way to ground and center people. And I remember you teaching me about this idea of grounding and centering and there's a way that you teach that it's it's an art form in and of itself because it's so participatory you're not saying mm -hmm. you must do this to, to live a mm -hmm. good life 
<laughs> it right. feels like more of a let's enter here together mm -hmm. is the quality of the uh, exchange I have with you as a teacher and as a human now. Mm -hmm. Here's the challenge, though. Yes. In our society, we tend to want to use healing practices to achieve something. Mm -hmm. And so right. much of what you're doing is the opposite of that. <sighs> and, well, you know, it's, oh yeah, please keep going. No, and in truth, that's what you were trying to convey to me when I couldn't settle into pleasure. Because mm -hmm. I had to have some process and figure something out. And you're like, Tracy, just drop into the pleasure of this. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, when I, when I think about it, because I, you know, throughout the course of my adult life and, you know, kind of being a movement researcher and, a, you know, kind of a, a somatic specialist, I, I, you know, I have cast a really wide net in terms of looking at all these various practices and ways of accessing the self. And I realize when it really comes down to it is the best models for learning and really for, in a sense, movement exploration are animals and young children. Because if you watch kind of the evolving human being exploring the world with wonder and delight and responding, you know, with their sound, with their movement, you know, that we have that original template in us. And it's the same thing. You see animals frolicking. I mean, we, we know that animals, you know, are not just simply, you know, scurrying around looking for food. That in the movement of their bodies, there is play, there is interaction, there is, in a sense, that implicit creativity that pervades the planet. I mean, the planet, if you really kind of step back and look at it, the planet is a creative process that is emerging and has so much variation that in a way, as human beings, as members of the planet, not independent of the planet, but members of the planet, we have that same capacity to explore and experience all of these kind of sensory motor delights when we just give over to gravity, for example, rising and falling, rolling, moving, moving in relationship to you know, you see this anytime you go anywhere in the world. If you're at the water's edge and the water's coming in and out, you will always inevitably see a group of kids running back and forth with the tide coming in and out. <laughs> so what I'm saying is, is this, it is a universal, you know, despite culture, in spite of culture, that all human beings, you know, love to create, love to interact with their environment. And so for me, I always feel like I'm not really teaching people anything. I'm just helping them remember this is your birthright, that this is implicit in your being, which is to participate with your life force in relationship to the world. Mm. It's like what I hear you saying is, it's a remembering to play. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you, you know, the way I always think of it, it's like 
what is art? You know, like, you know, dance and music and this. Well, it's, it's actually just high play. It's just mm-hmm. a very specialized application of the play impulse. Mm-hmm. The play impulse is the basis of our creativity that we then formulate and create, you know, high art. But we also see it in the way that people socialize and, you know, whether it's playing cards or just, you know, joking together or, you know, that that is all play and that is the fabric, not only of our minds, but for me, it's also, you know, part and parcel of our hearts. That's how we connect and share the abundance of our being with each other that, you know, that really comes through the impulse to play. Hmm. It's washing over me as I listen to you. Is this idea that this reclaiming, as you describe it, of our birthright, this reclaiming Mm -hmm. of play, doesn't sound like you're mamby-pamby or, or saying that we can't have pain. That's not the way I hear it from you. Oh, not, what I, not at all. Yeah. <laughs> but what I wonder about mm-hmm. is how healing it is to not focus on what's sick about us. Right. But focus on reclaiming our birthright as the alternate path for healing. Right. You know, I, I think that one of the things that we know is, and for me, this is one of the kind of salient points of psychological development maturation, is that we are able to hold multiple realities at once. Mm. So for example, you know, uh, you know, and I work a lot, I've worked a lot over time with people with chronic body conditions and pain and this, that, and the other thing. And one of the things I've always been aware of is that of course, when we're in pain, the mind can really fixate on the pain, right? It's just, it's, it's the yeah. wormhole. We're, we're right there and there's like no other reality. And, and sometimes in working with myself or others, I would say, okay, so your attention's on the pain in your body right now. Mm-hmm. Now, bring your attention to another part of your ecosystem, another part of your body. Mm. And just temporarily, just, you know, it's not denying the pain, but just, you know, give yourself a little vacation Mm -hmm. and notice a part of your body that feels good to you right now. Now, now actually take your hand and place your hand on that part of your body that feels good, just to kind of amplify the sensation. Now take a few breaths and notice. And then... And then kind of revisit the place that's, and just notice if anything has changed. So what I mean by that kind of little example is that there is more to us than our pain and suffering at any one moment. Mm -hmm. Right? What takes, you know, where do we go? Where does our attention go? And as we know, kind of as you know, evolutionary psychologists have pointed out. And, and we see this all the time, right? You can have a, you know, fabulous experience and 10 people come to you and tell you how wonderful you are. And one, people, one person says, well, you know, I, I don't really care for you. You're, you're going to rat hole around that person. 
Right. Yeah, I pretty much, that was my day today. <laughs> okay, well, there you go. But it's part of our evolutionary psychology to focus on what's not working because that is connected to survival, right? right. So our right. mind is actually hardwired to perceive what's not working. Mm -hmm. So when you apply that to yourself, right? Um, things that are, are difficult, you know, of course we're going to put more attention there, but how can we begin to use our plasticity and our flexibility to notice, oh, that is true and also this is true. Mm -hmm. How can I balance the scales more and more? And for me, that's where movement exploration play is the basis of a lot of neuroplasticity. I mean, those of us who've been in the somatics world and kind of body world for a long time, I mean, we're, we're seeing the shift in culture, but there still is, as my good friend and teacher Emily Conrad used to say, let's face it, the body is still out in the stables with the horses and the pigs. It's not allowed in the main house to the dining room table, right? Mm. That there is that whole kind of dismissal of body wisdom. And yet, of course, as we're seeing now with attention to the gut biome and the second brain of the belly actually contributing so much important information mm -hmm. to the whole ecosystem and how important it is to attend to belly wisdom as much as mental you know, um, superiority, if you want to think of it that mm -hmm. way, superior, just simply being, you know, what's above. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, so how can we have the fullness of our experience without minimizing and yet realizing there's much more support available to us than we imagine if we broaden our repertoire of both awareness and practice. Mm. I just want to say an amen. That's my, amen. Reaction. That's my reaction to that. I, you know, mm. mm -hmm. when I hear yeah. you speak, my body really gets happy. Is what happens. Mm. You know, mm -hmm. um, when we first started talking, you brought up wanting to really bring in a conversation about breath. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Tell me more. So you know, over the years, I've really kind of. I've realized what is essential for me uh, in terms of being a teacher is really to introduce people to the mystery and the power of their breathing as being kind of like the baseline activity that is so important for us as modern human beings to explore. I mean, my little tagline is, if you have at least 20 different ways to breathe, hmm. then you can meet varying challenges. Hmm. Beautiful. Then you can, you know, in a sense, open up all kinds of possibilities. So for example, I'd like to say laughing is a breath practice, hmm. right? People don't think of it, but you know, laughing, you know, especially when you have a nice deep <laughs> belly laugh. Boy, talk about just releases so much holding, right? Singing is a breath practice. 
gibberish. It's a breath practice. But so those are all more kind of expressive breath practices. But in terms of the internal dynamics of breathing, really focusing on how the central muscle of the body, the diaphragm, which of course divides our chest from our belly, can be activated, explored, softened, elucidated in so many different ways to really be a balm for the whole structure of our body. Hmm. And so what, what I mean by that is, first of all, when we are fully doing diaphragmatic breathing, you know, diaphragmatic breathing is sometimes called belly breathing. Well, essentially, as that diaphragm is kind of pressing down on the belly on the inhale and releasing on the exhale, we are creating a frequency, a pulsation. The belly is being massaged by the fullness of our breathing. And that pulsation of the belly really begins to animate our life force. So, for example, you know, in the, in the Eastern, you know, arts, martial arts, we hear about the hara, right, which is the center of power right below our belly button or the dantian. But if you even think about it in terms of our origins as human beings, it is our navel which is our first connection to nourishment from our mother. It is our first human relationship and connectivity. Hmm. So the belly, as we know, the belly in Western cultures become much maligned, get it under control. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, this notion of subverting the natural function of the belly and the holding that happens there is part of this mechanistic view of the human being in society. Mm -hmm. When we recover our belly, our belly wisdom, and soften the belly, which of course breathing is so good at doing and beginning to get that sense of that pulsation there, it's easier to settle into ourselves. Mm. I mean, when you think about it, uh, when we're holding the belly in, we're more prone to do chest breathing. Mm -hmm. And what do we know about chest breathing? Well, chest breathing consistently brings us into a state of anxiety. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and what is important about breathing is breathing is not just automatic. It's also something we can control. Right. So we can intervene. And actually, I sh shouldn't use the word control. I, I actually want to say more. We want something we can collaborate with. So I can have agency, I can extend my exhale for a long time, which immediately stimulates the parasympathetic nervous system, which stimulates that relaxation response. Mm -hmm. And just to take it one step further, and then it was something that Daniel Siegel said about his work with clients that when he works with clients, he teaches all of his clients, you know, and, and he, you know, he comes like many people in Western culture come to mindfulness as kind of an offshoot of Buddhist practices that he has them do kind of the body scan and awareness of their breathing. 
because he basically pointed out that then when people can settle like that, they are more receptive. And that was an aha moment to hear him use the word receptive because I realized, oh, that's really what I'm trying to teach people in this practice of embodied mindfulness, which is when we inhabit our breathing body and begin to turn our focus inwards, that we are more receptive to what's alive in us, right? It's the power of the pause for self-reflection. And then in the kind of the way I'm working with breathing and contemplative practice is that we can respond to what we're sensing and feeling with movement or stillness. We can tease the breath out longer or shorter. We can turn it into vibratory sound that we have all these ways we can respond to ourselves in this breathing room that allows so many different layers to unfold. Uh, so that's for me what's really important about the breath is how can I use it to activate my system mm. or how can I use it to, in a sense, become more receptive? Um, and I could kind of keep riffing on this on and on, but, but basically breathing as the foundational movement for everything else that transpires. And, you know, I was always struck by, you know, it's, it's, as somebody working in the movement realm, very often when people learn movement, they learn movement first, and then there's always the afterthought, and remember to breathe. <laughs> <laughs> which, I, which I just thought, well, it's kind of weird, really, when you think about it, because it's breathing really is the support system for everything that emerges. So yeah. why shouldn't we start with the breath and then let movement happen? Yeah. So anyway. It's fascinating. So a lot of what I've been doing in this, um, so very specifically here and now, you know, when, when the, you know, the kind of the COVID-19 epidemic really started, you know, kind of grabbing a hold of our attention and once again asked myself how I could be of service, I thought, oh, okay, so I'm going to do seven days of breathing room. So, you know, an online you know, one hour session once a day for people to drop in and basically in community online, drop down and in with what I like to, one of my basic practices, I like to teach 360 degree belly breathing. Ah, and, yes, that's right. Yes, I remember. <laughs> uh, yeah, and that's, you know, that's, that's, that's huge because a lot of us either breathe up in our chest or when we think of breathing in our belly, where it's just the belly moving forward, but there's always the, the sidewards movement, the movement in the back, and, and really locating ourselves in the center of that 360-degree expansion mm. changes how we sit in ourselves and how we experience not only our bodies, but our psyches. Hmm. And it's been really beautiful just, you know, in doing that seven days and how people really just like, wow, I needed that. That was oh, essential yeah. for my, you know, for, you know, for an hour, you know, I was, I was able to kind of unwind more and more and actually just really be present now with myself. And 
what an important sanctuary that is, especially when there is a lot of fear and distress of how to kind of really find sanctuary in ourselves to yeah. take a pause, right? I mean, and so for me, you know, I realize that's, that's the essence of my work right now is to really teach people how important it is to commit to a daily practice of breathing room as a way to mitigate, you know, the fear and anxiety. But not only that, but the more that we can all reduce, you know, the collective anxiety, the more each of us can really step up in that way of, I'm going to give myself some breathing room. I'm going to let myself soften. I'm going to mm-hmm. unplug from the fear right now then my presence in the world is going to be a little different. And I, so I, I think of that as this is where the power of practice, individual practice, not only benefits ourselves, but all of our relationships. So I was, you know, I thought, okay, this was good. Okay, seven days is good. So now I'm, I'm starting another seven-day cycle uh, this Sunday. I thought, okay, this is, this is important. This is needed. I'm at home. I can transmit this on Zoom. Why not? So, well, I hope you'll record one too, so that whenever. Oh, I record them all, and so it's oh, good. so so oh, so it's good. there for people to drop in whenever they want to drop in and do it. And you know, you know, here's the here's the thing though that I think is important that I began to realize more and more, which is yes, I like having the recordings available for people, and that's great, so people can do it on their own time. And there is something about showing up with others. Well, you're preaching to the choir on that one, buddy. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I know. I just just wanted to say that for our our interview, that there is something about showing up together, even if it's online. I mean, I know this is a steep learning curve for a lot of people about all of a sudden doing this kind of online collective action. I mean, I've, I've been teaching this way for the last five years because I live rurally. Uh, And I'm glad that people are getting that, wow, there is potency in us all sharing the same practice at the same time, even though we're spread out around the world. Mm. So for me, that's very exciting. It's really a global mind change of how the internet, besides, you know, (laughs) sending out into the ethers all this distressing information, yeah. can actually be a place for a collective sanctuary. So I find that very interesting. So I want to just slow down with you and the listeners for a second and ask the listeners directly, because this is the piece that I actually know is, like you don't have to tell me any of this because I feel it in my relationship with you, mm. right? I run very high anxiety. I think that's why you always tell me to breathe every time you see me. <laughs> Do I really? I didn't yes. know that. <laughs> no, but it feels so loving. It, <laughs> Good. Never. It As never feels to breathe, breathe. No, it never feels that way. It never feels shaming. <laughs> oh, but there's something on the receiving end of being in connection with you. Mm-hmm. So I want to speak about this in the present moment, right as we're talking that I Mm -hmm. hope the listeners can feel. There isn't ego or volition. You're not trying to shove anything down our throats. You're not trying to sell anything or preach anything. And I can almost see your rib cage expand. 
Hmm. And I can almost feel your heart beating as you speak and the tonal quality of your voice as well. Hmm. Like I, I can feel the ways in which this practice is alive in you and how lucky I am to be on the other side of it. And so I hmm. really, it resonates with me when you say, Tracy and, and folks, um, this isn't a shaming, please go be a good person. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah, this is not a human improvement project, no. No, but there's right. a quality in which when you reclaim your breath, mm-hmm. you are actually reclaiming the breath for the world in a way. Yeah, yeah. Mm. There's something so nourishing about that. You know, mm. and where I go with it too, Jamie, is I, I actually started to have visualizations while, we, while you were talking and I was listening of, wow. I can imagine the times when I've been on the sidewalk listening to somebody and I wasn't breathing Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the times that I was, or the times when the conversation would get stuck. I remember Mm -hmm. once I had this young woman and her English was, she was a new English speaker and she was feeling so much, but couldn't quite get it out. And I think we both were kind of, pressured or or you can feel us both tensed and hitched in our breath. Mm -hmm. And I remember someone could say, well, Tracy, what, what did you do there that shifted things? And I distinctly remember with this young woman, I settled into a kind of surrendered open breathing. Like there's nothing to be done here, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but just to be here together. And it really started in my breath. And then she cried Mm, and she yeah. leaned forward and we held hands and didn't speak. Mm. Yeah. And it came from the breath. Well, you did that. I, I love that example because, you know, over the years in, in my teaching, I, especially in working with helping professionals and therapists in particular, one of the things I like to say is in that re- dynamic relationship, of you and your client, if you sometimes really sit back into your breathing, you're actually taking the pressure off anything needing to happen. Mm. And that's usually when something happens, right? Because if we get, you know, kind of more up in our head trying to figure out what intervention should I do next, or, you know, this, that there's a tension in the body that's being transmitted. And that to actually settle in and down and have a certain amount of grounding and just that breathing room in oneself, it creates a whole different environment. Mm. And, and for me, you know, I was, I was very touched what you were saying about the way that I've kind of embodied what I'm teaching and what I'm offering. And I, you know... And I, I sometimes <laughs> just say, you know, it's it's such a pain in the ass kind of organizing these workshops and online things. And, you know, it's, it's like, <laughs> oh, honey, I know that one too. Yeah, right. You know, it's kind of like, you know, I'm constantly feeling like I'm doing missionary work in the world and, you know, why the hell am I doing this? But I kind of come back, I, I came back in a reflection one day to realizing, oh, the reason I love to teach is teaching is the mechanism that I am able to express love. That in a very kind of 
you know, um, Mm. under Findhorn mentioned, work is love made visible. Mm. And in that sense of not that this is the only way that I am loved or express love, but that the kind of the impulse behind the teaching is, I want you and you and you to know the abundance of your own being and these tools for liberation. And you don't have to do it my way. I just kind of want to initiate you, so to speak, in the potency of your own being, right? So for me, the or this uh, wonderful couple that teaches movement, they, they refer to their work as generous movement. Hmm. And I love that concept. It's like, yeah, I'm, that's what it is for me. That's hmm. what it is. It's the, that expansiveness and seeing people kind of come alive hmm. in so many different ways. It's like, uh, I, I teach as a way to express my love for human beings. And so, Sometimes when I'm like, oh, God, all the administrative work drives me crazy. I just have to <laughs> recenter and remember, this is what you're doing. And breathe right through that, too. And breathe right through that, too. Or sing a silly little song just to get my body moving or something. Or <laughs> oh, yeah, I could yeah, use yeah. one of those songs right now. <laughs> yeah. If you're happy and you know me, clap, clap your, your hands. hands. <laughs> Oh, I could do this with you for, I mean, that would be so fun. Yeah. Ah, well, I could go on with you forever. I, um, my heart feels really happy right now. So. Mm. 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 Well, I know that we're, we're near the end of our precious podcast time anyway, certainly not the end of our time, Mm -hmm. but this would be a place we have a ritual in terms of how we, end our conversation which is i like to get out of the way and have you speak to our beautiful really cool listeners of all ages all faiths from all over the world either words of wisdom or a wish whichever you choose but what Mm. would you say directly to them as our closing you are a mystery waiting to be explored. You are a mystery that is part of this mysterious planet. You are a mystery waiting to be unfolded. Inhale. Exhale. Get out of the way. Notice what's alive in you and around you and everything else will follow. Lovely, Jamie. <laughs> that was a little riff that just kind of came to me. I don't know. It, the seeds were planted in our speaking together, but um, yeah, I'm really happy to be speaking with you and your listeners and, and to be part of this crazy, unpredictable, mysterious world together. <laughs> I love you so Mm. much. I just love you, human. You're Mm. a good one. Yeah. Thank you, sweetheart. Love you too. And I'm very, very um, 
moved and appreciative of of just being in contact together, yeah. knowing that you are part of my circle. Yeah. All right, I'll send you, all of you listeners out there more information on how to find Jamie because I will tell you, and this is not a sales pitch, right? He offers a lot to the community. It will change your life. Hmm. So with that, I'm going to say goodbye to all our listeners. Jamie, you stay here with me. <laughs> okay, I will. <laughs> Thank you for being here and listening to this episode of the Sidewalk Talk podcast. If you like what you heard, tell your friends, tell your family, like and comment on the podcast publisher that you're listening from and subscribe. This will help us get the word out about changing our culture to one of connection.